Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large, Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Bill, how are you doing? Fine, Eric. How are you? Fine, thanks. I'm, I'm surprised you're here today. I thought you would have gotten the call to take Sean Spicer's role. Well, I did. I did, to be honest and candid and and mod- I've, I've modestly refrained from telling people this until this podcast, but I had a private meeting with the president late last night, and, uh, you know, I've been a loyal supporter. He appreciates my tweets, my editorials, my comments, my comments on this podcast, and but I I thought about it, and I thought, I said, do I have to give up the podcast? He said, I'm afraid so, Bill, and I said, well, then I can't do it. Well, the podcast is grateful, grateful <laughs> for your loyalty to the podcast. I mean, Sean Spicer, I guess President Trump has now lost in his first six months his national security advisor, a deputy chief of staff, Katie Walsh. His communications director, whose name escapes me, but who was there for about two months in the middle of those six a months, hot minute. Yeah. and uh, now his press secretary. So, a little bit of turnover. Doesn't Reagan had a lot of turnover? You can be a successful president while having turnover and chaos to some degree in your staff, but uh, it is it is a little striking. And he's of course attacked his own attorney general, kind of unusual in a uh, in a sitting president. Yeah, and in one regard, you would think here was an opportunity to get rid of somebody who. I don't know. Is, is it unfair to second raters to refer to Sean Spicer as a second raider? He was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Didn't have but, much to work. I mean, Trump didn't make it easy for him, let's be fair, both because he had to defend some, some ridiculous things and because he kept getting undercut by his boss, the president, who is obsessed with watching the press briefings and grading them and stuff. And then, you know, Melissa McCarthy goes on SNL and Trump doesn't like that or whatever. So. I mean, I don't envy Sean Spicer. I feel sort of sorry for him. But he also, there was just a kind of willingness to say anything. I mean, when the president tells you to go out your first day at the White House podium and make a fuss about the size of the inaugural crowds and the news media misreporting it, which they weren't really, and I mean, you just make yourself look like a fool. So what what are the chances, though, that uh, Sean Spicer being gone, that Anthony Scaramucci is not going to provide ample opportunity for comic relief on Saturday Night Live. I quote from from his press conference today, his initial press conference, he was asked what was going to happen with, with health care reform, the repeal and replace that uh, of Obamacare that's been stalled and stumbling. And he said that he knew the president was going to get a win on this issue because he had good karma. Is that right? This was not offered as a joke. This was yeah, this well, was his analysis. Of I, I know him level. slightly. I've been on a couple of panels with him. He's a well-spoken guy, kind of a fluid guy, obviously pretty bright. Uh, not much experience doing this kind of thing in, or in Washington. It uh, doesn't mean you can't do a good job. Uh, look, the fundamental problem, I've never believed that the problem is one of messaging or faux pas at the White House podium or not televising the briefings or televising the briefings and all that. You've got a president of the United States who's giving interviews to the New York Times and saying about eight different things that are jaw-dropping. Uh, that sort of swamps any effect Sean Spicer or Anthony Scaramucci has. But do you think that the, the president's problems are communications problems at this point? No, I mean, though partly because his communications cause so many other problems, so to mm. speak. You know, then they become matters of credibility, and is he obstructing justice, or is he, uh, you know, threatening, you know, as I say, uh, undercutting his own cabinet secretaries and so forth. No, I, in a way, in the real world, the economy's been pretty good, and there have been no horrible foreign policy crises. So that's the good news for Donald Trump so far. Those people who thought the sky would fall within six months 
uh, they were wrong. Uh, the skies still could fall in various ways over the next 6, 12, 18 months, and that's a question. But I think the, you know, the fundamental sense, but so given the economy is good and foreign policy isn't bad, why, why isn't Trump's approval rating above 38 or 40 percent? And that's, I think, about Trump. It's partly the fact of the, the legislative disappointments and failure so far. But I don't think that's actually fundamental. I don't think voters are sitting around with a scorecard on legislation. They, they know it sometimes takes a long time. It took Obama, what, 14, 15 months to get Obamacare through. President Reagan got the tax cuts through right about now, I think, uh, or soon, uh, early August, as I recall, in his first year. So uh, that, I think, is manageable. I do think it's just the sense, the reason he's gotten no new uh, supporters and has lost some of his old ones even, or they're certainly questioning his leadership is just the kind of sense of chaos and lack of discipline and, and so forth. And that does come from the top. Well, there's a lot of speculation today that um, the communication shakeup presages and a bigger shakeup that might happen with Reince Priebus getting pushed out, that uh, Bannon might be out. Uh, uh, are there going to be other changes in the White House? I, yeah, I don't know. I was just chatting with our colleague, Mike Warren, who writes that wonderful White House Watch each morning on our on our website, uh, who's in touch with everyone and says he's heard, that's what he's heard, that it might happen, but it might not happen. But Reince Priebus has been on his way out about five times before and has managed not to be. I do think one has the sense that for better or worse, and I really am not saying this is a correct judgment on the part of the president, that he, having taken various Washington types in, Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus, Sean Spicer, who was Priebus's press guy at the RNC, comes in to be White House Press Secretary, Katie Walsh, Deputy Chief of Staff, another Priebus person, uh, or even with Bannon and some of his people, those people, I think, Trump thinks, fairly or unfairly, haven't served him particularly well. They were supposed to know Washington. This is probably true of Mike Pence, too. Help him get things through Congress, help manage the Washington media. They're not doing anything. And he probably thinks to himself, you know, those guys I know from New York, they're pretty smart. A lot of them have done very well in the private sector. That's an important criterion of, of sort of success and of, uh, I guess, you know, merit on the part of uh, President Trump. Maybe I'll just get more of those guys. So that would be Scaramucci to join Gary Cohn um, and uh, Secretary of the Treasury Mnuchin and others. And it does feel to me like those that wing and Jared Kushner, I suppose himself, um, I don't know if that's one wing or two wings or whatever, but that those elements in the White House and in the administration do seem a little stronger. And the notion that he has to have people who know Washington, I think Trump's decided, well, they think they know Washington, but they, didn't, they haven't done any much good. And we've seen that same tension in the legal crew that, uh, that Donald Trump has assembled going for New York lawyers who don't really know the Washington scene and now seeming to um, realize that he's going to need some old Washington hands. Yeah, on that issue, I do think he sees that, you know, uh, dealing with the special counsel, dealing with the FBI, dealing with this kind of probe is very different from, uh, you know, winning real estate battles against other realtors or vendors uh, or tenants in New York City. And and uh, Kasowitz might not have been the right pick, and he's going to more conventional Washington defense lawyers, but he's still not going to any kind of conventional defense. The conventional analysis from the beginning would have been whatever probe you've got, uh, keep it as far from the White House as possible. Keep it as far from yourself as possible. If your son gets wrapped up in it, that's unfortunate for him. Hopefully he didn't do anything wrong and he'll get cleared eventually. If the campaign's wrapped up in it, if former campaign operatives are wrapped up in it, 
that's one thing. But the one message you always get is don't throw yourself into the middle of this kind of investigation. Instead, he keeps throwing himself into the middle of it. Of course, firing Comey was the biggest way in which he did that. But even get the interviews he's been giving, you know, and I, I would have, you know, I'm very disappointed that Sessions recused himself when, in fact, I think the consensus among pretty much everyone is that he had to. Uh, and when Trump says that, it makes it look like he wanted an attorney general there who wouldn't recuse himself so he could kind of clamp down on the probe or make sure certain things didn't get looked into too closely. So um, I think there he's he, he, he is his own worst enemy. Now, that may be maybe he's his own worst enemy or maybe the facts are his own his, his enemy and he knows there are problems and he's not being irrational in being very alarmed about it and in trying to curb the probe in various ways. But that is the huge question after these interviews. They were just yesterday, weren't they, with the Times and the Post, not interviews, but stories in the Times and the Post following on the interview about Sessions is, you know, does he really go ahead and try to, is it possible he'll try to get rid of Mueller and really, uh, you know, fight a war with the special counsel and with the whole investigation? Or will he do the more conventional thing and just try to sort of hunker down and uh, avoid uh, any problems? Well, the new official spokesperson at at the White House is Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and um, she said that the president's making clear that the special counsel should not move outside the scope of the investigation. Does the White House, does Trump think that they can kind of circumscribe the Mueller investigation by putting political pressure on them? I think he may think that he can either circumscribe it or fight it back more effectively. And he may be right. I mean, uh, Clinton went after Ken Starr and Ken Starr's team and Ken Starr's methods, and it was similar arguments. Both Ken Starr's a Republican. His team has Republicans on it. They've done tricky things to get witnesses to say things. Uh, it was all a plot from the beginning. as a vast right-wing conspiracy, Hillary Clinton said. Uh, and... Also, it, it whatever happened to Whitewater, now it's expanded to some totally unrelated case. That was kind of the medley of charges they threw out. You can say it didn't work. He got impeached. Uh, you can also say, well, it did work in the sense that politically Clinton's approval rating was very strong throughout 1998, and he didn't get convicted by the Senate, and he ended up leaving the presidency with that impeachment sort of in the rearview mirror. He lost his law license. He lost his law license. He paid a fine. I mean, uh, you <laughs> And Trump may have decided, you know, the people have t- taken the lesson from Clinton, the wrong lesson. They may have – the conventional wisdom is, gee, that was kind of a nightmare for Clinton. And maybe the lesson was given that at the end of the day Clinton had done what he was accused of doing. Uh, his strategy worked out okay. Bill Clinton is a respected ex-president. His wife almost won the presidency uh, in 2016 after all. And so I wonder if Trump doesn't know what he's doing in a certain way. And now it depends on and, – and one predicate, one aspect of that is to make everything partisan. So Clinton's impeachment was partisan, but he managed to rally Democrats to stick with him. Uh, Trump seems to have very much the same attitude. Clinton had you know, 60% approval. That's a huge difference from where Trump is. And I don't know if the Clinton strategy works when your base of support is more like 40% rather than 60%. And when you don't have the media on your side. And when you've got a lot of the media against you. So that would be the question. But it may be that Trump thinks, look, uh, I, these are facts, but I, mean, I am where I am. I'd still prefer to have that totally rock-solid 38% than, you know, than not. And the way I keep that is by having a big fight with the media, with the Washington legal, uh, with the law enforcement community, you know, with the, the FBI and the politicized FBI and people like Mueller and Comey and with the deep state and, and just – I'm, you know, I'm not sh- 
That's not what I would do, I guess. I don't know. It's a risky strategy, but I guess any strategy at this point for him is risky. I think it's not good for the country in the sense that it just further polarizes and inflames um, and makes it harder to get to the truth in some ways. But as a practical matter, it's not an insane strategy by Trump. And the, the Trump team does seem to have reason to think that Mueller's investigation is expanding. Yeah, there was an article saying he was looking at financial dealings. Some of them Russia-related to start with, but obviously you could quickly go into other financial dealings. Uh, again, if Trump didn't do anything wrong, why not just throw it all open? But of course, that's not been his attitude. He didn't make the tax returns public. And I suppose he would say in response to me saying throw it all open, he'd say, that's just naive. Come on, Eddie. They could always find something. And so, But remember, I come back to the tax returns. is something everyone's forgotten about and no point harping on it now. You look like you're sort of obsessed if you raise it again, I suppose. But it is interesting that he never did make it public. I mean, it you know, presumably there was a reason for that. So we've got a few minutes left here on the Crystal Clear podcast, and let's move to what is really the the truly distressing news of the week, which is that uh, Senator John McCain announced that he has an aggressive malignant brain tumor. Um, and you write about this in, in the new issue of the magazine. Yeah, I mean, I've known John McCain pretty well for about 20 years. We, uh, well, he got to know him because uh, we supported him and Bob Dole and others on the Republican side who supported intervention against Milosevic. We ended up supporting Clinton, and he took a lot of grief for that, and so did we. And then I was friendly to his 2000 campaign, uh, which lost to Bush, obviously, and then 2008, his, his nomination. He won the nomination, lost the general to Barack Obama. So I've known him pretty well, uh, very much in sync on foreign policy. Uh, but mostly I just admire him, and really I came to Washington admiring him, having read about what he endured and uh, as a POW and his um, pretty amazing record as a POW. And they broke him at one point, and he writes about that very movingly, and then he kind of came back and defied them again. And it's a very, uh, uh, I don't know, I was, I guess, I when they were POWs, I was in high school and college. And so that's a formative time. And I actually followed that quite closely. It just, you know, the people going to Vietnam, and McCain was a, sort of a generation older, but is a generation older. But a lot of people going to Vietnam obviously are more like five years older than I am, not not uh, fifteen or twenty years older. And so, you know, one felt it could not that it could be you exactly, but you know, one felt some kinship obviously with these people, even more maybe than, than the normal circumstance. And uh, it was so I don't know, it was just like you know, you're a kid growing up, and this is the first war you've seen, and then the Americans are captured and then mistreated. It was really horrible. And then they came out. I remember vividly watching on television when they came off the plane in 1973 uh, from Vietnam, and uh, I think greeted by President Nixon, I think. And um, and McCain was famous. I mean, his father had been, of course, commander of the, uh, I guess, the Pacific Fleet, uh, I think promoted to that just around when McCain was shot down. So, uh, you know, he was one of the most, the best known, James Stockdale, who wrote very, very um, wonderful stuff afterwards about uh, the experience and its meaning and wrote very broadly on other things as well. That was an impressive generation. Um, anyway, so I, I admired McCain a lot before I came to Washington. I came to Washington and didn't really know him at the beginning. I remember seeing him speak 
1988 at the Republican convention, the first convention I attended, I was running a Senate campaign, so I got a ticket up in the bleachers, kind of. And uh, McCain spoke in some non-primetime type spot. He was a first, I think, first, he's just been elected to the Senate a year before. Um, I gave a very good speech, actually, sort of on Reagan's legacy, as I recall. It wasn't really a speech in favor of George H.W. Bush. It was more about Reagan. Uh, and I remember thinking, well, he, that's a good speech, and it's very impressive. And uh, and then I got to know him, as I say, more in the 90s and over the last 20 years. So it's terrible news. Um, very impressive man, a genuine hero. I mean, it's not that that phrase is, that term is thrown around a lot, but when you read the accounts of him as a POW, and I would say, incidentally, a, a, I don't know if he's a hero as a senator, but as a, a very impressive figure as a senator. It's only one of the major public figures of his generation, in addition to the POW experience. We here send our best wishes to John McCain and his family. And that's it for the Crystal Clear podcast. Be sure to tune in every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription, or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. I'm Eric Felton. Thanks for listening.